Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, Ryan Grimm here. Just dropping in to introduce Lever Time. It's the flagship podcast for The Lever, an investigative news outlet staffed and run by friends of ours. If you like Deconstructed, be sure to check out The Lever. Just search for Lever Time in your podcast player. Enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to Lever Time. I'm producer Frank Capello filling in for David Sirota. On today's episode, we will be talking about how private health insurance companies are now using artificial intelligence and computer algorithms to deny their customers health care coverage. Today, myself and The Lever's senior editor and reporter Andrew Perez spoke with journalist Bob Herman from Stat News, who co-authored a report detailing how United Health, the country's largest health insurer, has been using AI to deny rehabilitation services to older and disabled patients enrolled in the privatized Medicare Advantage health plans. That interview will be coming up in a few minutes. For our paid subscribers, we're always dropping bonus episodes of Lever Time into our Lever Premium Podcasts feed. This past Monday, we published my interview with journalist Cole Stangler about his new book, Paris is Not Dead, Surviving Hypergentrification in the City of Light, which explores how gentrification has been affecting the cultural makeup of Paris, as well as the public housing policies that have actually maintained the city's diverse working-class character. We also discussed how this dynamic compares to housing policies in the U.S., If you want to access that premium content, head over to levernews.com and click the subscribe button in the top right to become a supporting subscriber. This gives you access to the Lever Premium podcast feed, exclusive live events, even more in-depth reporting, and you'll be directly supporting the investigative journalism that we do here at The Lever. All right, we're going to get right into our interview today about artificial intelligence in the healthcare industry. Over the past few years, commercial AI technology has exploded in terms of its capabilities and accessibility. Now it feels like every corporation is racing to find new and exciting ways for artificial intelligence to decrease their operating costs and increase their revenue. From customer service companies to supply chain management to even the entertainment industry, it seems like everyone wants in on the AI boom to help juice their bottom line. Now the health insurance industry is the latest to buy in on artificial intelligence to make their processes more efficient. The issue is, their business is providing health care to living, breathing human beings. And in some cases, when AI gets something wrong, the result could mean life or death or extreme pain for the patients they are intended to help. On top of that, this issue appears to be plaguing older Americans enrolled in Medicare Advantage plans, the privatized version of Medicare operated by private insurance companies rather than Medicare. For today's interview, myself and The Lever's Andrew Perez were joined by journalist Bob Herman from Stat News. Bob recently co-authored a report along with his colleague Casey Ross about United Health, America's largest health insurer, which has been using AI to deny rehabilitation services to its members. 
All right. We are now joined on Lever Time by Bob Herman. Bob is a journalist and healthcare business reporter for Stat News. Bob, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And we're also with Andrew Perez, reporter and senior editor for The Lever. Andrew, thank you as well. Of course. So, Bob, you recently co-authored a report for Stat News about how United Health, the country's largest health insurance company, has been using artificial intelligence to deny rehabilitation services to some of its older and disabled customers. So how did you first learn about this and what did you end up uncovering? Casey Ross and I first learned about this pretty much a year ago. We heard from somebody that this was going on, that, um, you know, nursing homes and their patients were just getting inundated with payment denials. And they were all based on an algorithm. The nursing homes were never given a justification or any insights into what went into the algorithm. They just knew that, hey, their patients were getting kicked out more or less. So Casey and I started digging into it and we found that it for sure is happening. And it was just like this progression. It was, yes, it's happening. Uh, it's happening on a broad scale. And it's even worse than you might think because um, it's it, what we ultimately learned is this was, a, at least for United Health, the largest Medicare Advantage insurer in the country. This was like an explicit strategy to save money. Um, this algorithm would spit out some numbers of how long they think um, a patient should be in the nursing home. And once that day was met, it's either, you know, pay out of pocket or you're going home. And employees were incentivized to basically follow the algorithm. Um, so it just it, it, it just snowballed into this, hey, this is a thing that's happening to, oh, my God, this is like widespread across Medicare Advantage writ large. Private Medicare Advantage plans are supposed to cover services that traditional Medicare would cover. So how, how is, you know, the company like you're saying, the biggest Medicare Advantage insurer, the biggest, I think, health insurer in the country. How are they skirting Medicare coverage rules this way? So you're right. Medicare Advantage insurers, by law, have to provide the same benefits that some traditional Medicare beneficiary would get otherwise. And under traditional Medicare, people are entitled to 100 days of nursing home care. Obviously, not everybody needs 100 days nursing home care. But if you need it, it's there and it's covered um, with certain cost sharing obligations for the beneficiary. If an insurance company is kicking someone out at day 16, for example, and that person, by all measures, from their point of view, their doctor's point of view, need more time and they're getting denied, that seems like it would run afoul of Medicare coverage rules. So um, and as a Medicare Advantage company, you agree to those terms when you uh, accept money from the federal government. So that's that's the big concern is, you know, are they providing full coverage for all services for beneficiaries? I, I guess the question is, like, what kind of recourse do people have in this situation? Like what what happens um, when they're denied? Like, is it does it mean they're like automatically paying out of pocket? Do they not get services? What what happens next? In short, it's a, it's a total mess. Um, so when uh, a patient receives a payment denial, they can appeal. And so, but the appeals process is just a total nightmare. And if you're a sick and injured, uh, frail individual that's mostly just concerned about being able to walk again, that's not something you can really do. So maybe you're relying on family to go through the appeals process. And it's just, it's very convoluted. Maybe you can buy a couple more days um, from the insurance company, and then they're just going to issue another payment denial. This is, it's written into their employee handbook, more or less. And so those are the options. You can, you can appeal and appeal and appeal over again. 
eventually you can make it to an, an administrative law judge who would look at the case and maybe you get more of your stay covered. But a lot of people don't make it that far for the exact reasons that I'm, I'm outlining. It's it's long, it's complicated. They just don't have the energy or, or stamina to do that. So then they're faced with, okay, I can I, I still need this care. I'm going to stay in the nursing home and pay out of pocket, which a lot of people can't afford. Or they just get discharged home in a condition where it might not be safe for them. So there are options, but none of them are really good for the sick or injured person. So a few weeks ago, uh, a class action lawsuit was actually filed against United Health and its subsidiary Navi Health, alleging that they are illegally using the algorithm to deny rehab care to seriously ill patients. The complaint alleges that the Navi Health algorithm has a 90% error rate, which seems incredibly high. Yeah, so the class action came out the same day we published, and 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 we had heard that something was going to be happening. There, I mean, we've been covering this all year. There's been a groundswell of kind of outrage, and we just we've received a lot. We knew something was could be in the works. And the lawsuit does allege that Navi Health's algorithm has this wildly high error rate. And I, I think we've we've found that part of that is true. Like for example, if you know someone is only given 16 days, um, but they need more care, that's just it's built back into the algorithm. The algorithm says, okay, this person was sent out at 16 days, but if they needed more, that's not reflected in the algorithm. So it's this like self-perpetuating thing that just drives lengths of stay lower. And it hurts by far the most vulnerable people, the people who need the longest amounts of care and, and recovery. And so if this algorithm is just, you know, basing its decisions and, you know, its its progress over this really skewed perspective of patients' recoveries, it's by default not going to be accurate, an accurate predictor of how long someone might need. Could you tell us a little bit about how this algorithm is set and then... Secondly, like the nine, the 90% error rate is basically like if you appeal, you win 90% of the time, right? Like even in the in the internal insurer process, right? Like, but the thing I, I guess the catch here is they also know people don't appeal, right? Like it's a really, it's a very small percentage of people who are having their, their claims denied are then actually appealing. But if you appeal, you win. And this is like sort of a long-standing issue, right? With like, I, I know there's been past um, reports from the Health and Human Services Department about how basically 75% of of Medicare Advantage um, denials get overturned on appeal. And and then again, they were, you know, the government was flagging people don't appeal. So it actually kind of seems like the number of the 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 percentage of people who are you know winning on appeal is going up. It's got it's it's just like ever increasing. But um, nothing's really kind of changing, right? Like the process continues. That's exactly right. You're right. It's it's single digit percentage, like numbers of people who are appealing. But if you do make it there, you do win. Uh, you at least buy yourself a couple more days. If, if you make it to the administrative law judge, which is in this complex appeals process, it's like the end of the line almost. You know, oftentimes patients will win there too and get at least most, if not all of their stay, the rehab stay covered. So it's absolutely a problem where if people appeal, they will win. But, you know, I think insurance companies know that this is a very complex process. They don't make it easy. They make it difficult for this exact reason. They know that people aren't going to go through the arduous process. And yeah, the HHS OIG has found for a long time that, you know, denials have been high, appeals are low, the the win rate for patients and, and those who appeal are are very good. 
they're successful. This it's absolutely a design issue. Uh, insurance companies know that if people had to go through this appeals process over and over again, they're eventually going to fall out and that's to their benefit because then they just get to deny the care and, and, and keep the money that would have otherwise gone out the door. You know, one of the most compelling parts about your report for me was you spoke to a number of uh, health insurance case managers about how and why AI is now doing their job for them. So what did you learn by speaking directly to these human case managers? Yeah, it's and my colleague, Casey Ross, uh, you know, he did such a good job with this, too. You know, it, it really felt like the. I mean, we talked with dozens of people throughout the year and the case managers in particular. You know, we've said it, it almost feels like there was a confessional for them because they it was written into their performance goals. Like, listen, you have to follow the algorithm within one percent, which is basically there's no variance. Right. And so when these people have to go into nursing homes and tell the nursing homes and the patients, like, sorry, the care's up, knowing that, like, a person can't even go to the bathroom or, you know, you know, they're an amputee and they're, like, still, like, learning how to work with their prosthetic limb. This is not something that they felt good about. And it's not like this is stopped. Like, this is, it's an ongoing thing as far as we know. And for a lot of them, and, you know, it just it, it weighed on them. It, it, they knew that care should be personalized a little bit more. And it just it wasn't. And so I think they felt like they were in between a rock and a hard place by choosing whether they should stick to what they're being judged by uh, in their jobs and also you know, weighing that against their conscience of having to kick people out when they when they knew that people needed more care. Can we talk about like what what is the system here? Like in, in who who? are actually like, you know, handling these cases, right? Like so this is being managed by um by Optum at United Health, which is both its pharmacy benefit manager and what it's like claims management service. Amazing constellation of uh, of of interests all built into one there, obviously. You know, it's my understanding often like case managers, the people who are denying these claims, and I don't mean in specific like the people you talk to, but case managers are often like doctors and nurses, right? People who would be helping in, in, in a different world would actually be providing people some medical service, right? That's exactly right. So the case managers, this is not like someone with like a business degree or an engine. Like this is like it's occupational therapists, it's nurses, it's physical therapists. It's like people who have direct experience with rehab and they know how long someone might need. They know if, you know, they were ambulating before an injury, how long it should take until they're, you know, back to normal. Now United has told us, you know, Hey, there's physician medical reviewers as a backstop. We've also heard that that's, I mean, they just kind of rubber stamp these payment denials anyway. Like there's just, there's too much for them to look at, or it's just not in their interest to have to, fight um, to extend someone's stay as well. But you're exactly right. These case managers, these are direct, like these are people with vast experience in healthcare. They know what they're looking at. This is not, they're not novices in this. And to your point, like this is like in the broader context, this is just, it's United Health in particular is this complex system of subsidiaries and everything else. So you have United Health, you have Optum, you have Navi Health. These are all this, it's this large vertically vertically integrated company that basically controls you from you owning health insurance to when you need the rehab care, and that's a, that's a completely separate issue. But it goes to how big of a 
a problem and how big United Health is itself now. Included in your story is a short profile of the CEO of United Health's Optum division, which oversees Navi Health and his business philosophy known as lean management. So can you tell us a little bit about Patrick Conway and his corporate governance strategy? This was a a fascinating wrinkle. Patrick Conway has been involved in the value-based care movement for years. He was a key person in the Obama administration, just this evangelist for uh, Medicare accountable care organizations, right care at the right place at the right time. He left Medicare to go into private industry. He was at Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina, then eventually made his way to Optum, United Health. And he's been there for a few years now. And he's had this philosophy. It's called lean management. And it's pervasive across healthcare. Whereas this idea that let's make things as efficient as possible. Let's root out the waste. Um, And lean has its roots in Toyota, the car manufacturer. So in a way, it's like this assembly line mentality being brought to healthcare. And I think we can all agree that, you know, someone in a nursing home is not exactly the same as like a sedan on an assembly line. But Patrick Conway, like he has this philosophy, like lean management, real the waste. And he even found podcasts where he said, like, how soon can we get someone out of the nursing home? I don't think it was him saying, like, let's shut down the nursing home industry. But it was a clear intent to get people out sooner. And there's obviously financial interest here for United Health. If they get people out of rehab quicker, that's more money that they don't have to pay out. But Patrick Conway has just espoused this theory or this this um, you know the ideology for a long time, and he's brought it to Optum, and all the United Health executives at the top have, have bought in as well. This is this is not just like some kind of like oh isolated. Let's you know do this thing. This is like bought in from the top down, and and Patrick Conway is a, is a big part of that. I want to turn now from United Health specifically to the the larger issue of artificial intelligence and the use of computer al- algorithms in the healthcare industry, because this is something that you report about a lot. So earlier this year, ProPublica reported that Cigna has been using algorithms to deny hundreds of thousands of claims on the basis that the services are not medically necessary. So would you say that this is an industry-wide issue where insurers are now using AI to deny claims in bulk? Yeah, I, you know, I, I saw ProPublica's report too. And, and that's interesting because that I think focuses a lot on the commercial side, the employer market, right? And what we focused on was Medicare Advantage, which is arguably the biggest, most profitable profitable piece of health insurance writ large right now. So this is across the board. Um, I think some undercovered areas are probably Medicaid, which um, let's be honest, uh, insurance insiders have agreed that's like a denial of claims business is Medicaid. So this is absolutely across the board. It's not isolated to one health insurance product or another. It's not isolated to one insurance company. I mean, some insurance companies even brag about the, their use of AI. So this is it's it's across the board. Every insurance product, probably most insurers. And I'm, I'm curious, other than the obvious issue of patients receiving poor care for the sake of higher profit margins for these healthcare companies, is there anything else that you find concerning about how AI technology is being used in healthcare? You know, and my colleague Casey Ross, he covers AI and healthcare especially closely. Um, and one thing that, like, we just kept, you know, AI is being promised, like, oh, it's going to help deliver this individualized care. Um, it'll cater everything to 
someone's specific needs, it's really doing the exact opposite, right? Like if you're just kind of taking this machine learning and this technology to almost make cookie cutter decisions about the care that someone needs or like what gets approved and what gets denied. It's, it is a kind of like an assembly line. It's, it's not, it's not individualized whatsoever. Um, despite that being the the tagline of it. So physicians for national health program, which is a single payer advocacy group, they issued a report um, last month in November or sorry, in October estimating that um, Medicare Advantage is overcharging taxpayers by up to $140 billion per year. There's long been reporting of systemic overbilling by insurers. It's sort of baked into into how they're paid. And you've written a lot about this, um, about this fight in the Biden administration and, and, and going back way beyond that um, to claw back some of the excess payments that are going to Medicare Advantage plans. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about that? you know, that fight, that conversation and and how it's shaking out now in the Biden administration? There's been a ton of good reporting on this over the years. And this goes back pretty much since the, you know, the second coming of Medicare Advantage, which was during the Obama administration. Yeah, I mean, there's this issue of, you know, I'm I'm not, I won't get into all the details, but the, the short of it is yes to, you know, to your point, Andrew, like Medicare Advantage insurers, they are paid based on how sick their enrollees are, and there's it makes some amount of sense. But I think reporting has shown that it has been abused over the years. Like insurance companies are being paid a lot more per member than you know what they should be because they're kind of inflating how sick their members are. Um, it's all done through coding. There's a whole coding apparatus, a cottage industry of doing it. It's a thing. It's happening. There's no question. Medicare Advantage, though, like. It has flourished really since the Obama administration. There was some kind of tough talk about it, like, oh, let's crack down on this a little bit as some of this started to come to light. It really hasn't been the case. Medicare Advantage enrollment is more than is roughly half of all Medicare enrollment. Now, if you're a Medicare beneficiary, one in two are in a Medicare Advantage plan. So there's been calls to really rein this in because, you know, the fear is if you are overpaying these Medicare Advantage plans, they're going to be focused on profit more than actually um, covering the care that Medicare beneficiaries expect. You know, the Biden administration, you know, this past year is starting to crack down some. Um, They are going to be doing uh, more targeted audits um, to see if uh, plans are inflating how sick their members are. It was neutered quite a bit because there's, it can only look back so far. So, I mean, it's it's still not limited. And um, so I think that's important to keep in mind. And then for new payment regulations, there's, you know, they're kind of moving to this new system that will um, try to crack down on some of the coding abuses. Um, but again, kind of limited. Um, I think a lot of people think it didn't go far enough to rein in some of the the overpayments. So overall, it, it, the current environment is, you know, it's there, there, there's more regulation of Medicare Advantage plans than there was certainly a decade ago. But you have to understand these this is like their cash cow right now. If you're an insurance company, Medicare administers your cash cow. They are finding ways around it. Um, this It's not like it's been a death knell um, by mm-hmm. any means. Okay. So, you know, it's understood that Medicare Advantage plans are like systemically, systematically overbilling the government by, by saying their patients are actually really sick, by like upcoding there. But then on the other end, they're actually like denying services as much as they can, right? Like they have a, they have a distinct profit incentive to do that because they're given a certain bucket per patient of cash, right? 
I mean, it, it, it seems to me like this really absurd situation where we know that these plans are overbilling the government, saying that their patients are very sick, but then their patients are getting, you know, getting denied, um, right? Like through through the use of AI in bulk where they're, as what you're saying is, you know, per, per your reporting, that they're, they're having claims denied as if like, you know, as if they're not that sick, they're ready to, because the average patient can get out of the hospital, you know, in sick or out of a nursing home in 16 days. Right. So like, it's, it seems like um, a pretty messed up situation, all, all, all things considered. I think you're right. So first and foremost, Medicare Advantage insurers are getting more money than they otherwise should. I think that's pretty clear. And then to your point, they're paying out less than I think some should because of these algorithms, these different technology tools that kind of help them, you know, retain some of the money. There are some guardrails around that. For example, there, a federal law says um, for every dollar that we give you, you have to pay out 85 cents in medical benefits. So there's some, you know, I think there was some anticipation that there were, you know, insurance companies would try to stint on care. And that's kind of the measure against that. However, um, insurance companies are are kind of getting around that right now because they're becoming vertically integrated like United. So it's, for example, if you're United and you enroll a Medicare Advantage insurer, um, United is also owning physicians, clinics, all these other things. So let's route those patients to the clinics and therefore pay ourselves. So that's a way around it. Let's deny care if we can, if it's going to somebody else. But hey, if we direct them to our own clinics, our own physicians, our own home health agencies. Now that's looking like a much better business model. Bob, final question. So there's there's obviously no lack of issues with these Medicare Advantage plans. Um, so it begs the question, other than, you know, the White House exerting its own pressure, whose authority is it within the federal government to enforce these rules with these private insurers? And why aren't they doing it as robustly right now? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that's a great question. Um, you know, ultimately this falls in the lap of the centers for Medicare and Medicaid services. It's the federal agency that oversees Medicare Advantage plans and all things Medicare in general. You know, when we just published our story uh, this month uh, about United Health, we were actually kind of surprised CMS said that they were going to be investigating some of the allegations that were published in our story, which it's kind of a rare step for CMS. You know, their enforcement of uh, MA plans, is, I think, not been great. They don't have a great track record. So the fact that they're even looking into it is quite a big step. To their credit, they have done some stuff in this past year to crack down on some of these abuses like we talked about, the audits, the different coding payment systems. Um, but there is only so much that they can do. Congress, ultimately, it falls into the laps of them to some degree if they really want wholesale reform. An issue there, of course, is Medicare Advantage is bought in across the political spectrum. It's a bipartisan, like, you know, every year there's these letters that come out saying, oh, the Republicans and Democrats, they love Medicare Advantage. And it's, you know, it's hard to reform a system that I think, especially in this environment, that both parties claim that they love. Now, you know, some senators have started to notice and are, are calling for more investigations, some hearings. So I think the, you know, there are some cracks in the foundation for sure. But if you really like CMS can only do so much. Um, and to be fair, the enforcement has been really bad. But Congress ultimately is is the avenue if, if there's to be wholesale changes to this program. We're sort of talking about a system here that um, is designed to just like throw off money. Right. 
it does make it like that 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 system actually makes it like really difficult to rein in right like they have you know the insurance industry has like endless money to to fight for this program and to and to fight to to maintain the status quo yeah i mean the it's like we talked about the fact that they um are getting overpaid uh, to some degree by the federal government, that's just, it's extra money that they could, that could then be used to make sure that Medicare advantage a doesn't go anywhere and B that it's strengthened to its uh, preferences. And I mean, if you look over the past, like ever since the affordable care act went to into effect, that's exactly what happened. Um, the affordable care act strengthened Medicare advantage to some degree. I know it paired back some payments, but it created this bonus payment system that I think everyone agrees is flawed uh, and, and is not a true barometer of, of quality within a health plan. Medicare Advantage is by far the most profitable line of business. So there's going to be a push to to keep it that way. Well, Bob, we really appreciate your time today and really, really appreciate your reporting. Everyone should go check out uh, Bob's story. We will link to it in the show notes. Uh, Bob Herman is a journalist and healthcare business reporter for Stat News. Bob, thank you again for joining us today. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. That's it for today's episode. As a reminder, our paid subscribers who get Levertime Premium get access to this past week's bonus episode, my interview with journalist Cole Stangler about his new book, Paris is Not Dead, Surviving Hypergentrification in the City of Light. Again, to listen to Levertime Premium, head over to levernews.com to become a supporting subscriber. When you do, you also get access to all of the Lever's premium content, and that is just for $8 a month or $70 for the year. One last favor, make sure to like, subscribe, and write a review for Levertime on your favorite podcast app. Make sure to subscribe to our other podcasts, The Audit and Movies vs. Capitalism. And of course, make sure to check out all of the incredible reporting our team has been doing over at levernews.com. Until next time, I'm Frank Capello. Rock the boat. The Lever Time Podcast is a production of The Lever and The Lever Podcast Network. It's hosted by David Sirota. Our producer is me, Frank Capello, with help from Lever producer Jared Jacang-Mayer. 